Welcome to Progress Not Perfection, the leadership podcast where we grow through what we go through. My name is JQ and I'll be your co-pilot. Each episode, we sit down with leaders to explore how they build companies and communities, products and services with a vision for the greater good. We dig into how they create clarity and chaos as they wrestle with messy situations and also how they navigate their own career journeys along the way. If you're ready, let's step to it. New York-based blog, Levitate Style, covers men's fashion and travel. But Leo Chan, one half of Levitate Style, didn't start in fashion. In fact, his background was finance. Born in Hong Kong, I moved to New York City when I was 10. Growing up as an immigrant in America, I felt the need to study accounting just because I was the first to go to college. And I did feel like the pressure of obviously getting a good paying job and getting a good degree to make my parents proud. And so I I chose accounting just because I feel like that was like the easy, sure thing to do. I studied accounting in business and then afterwards got into the financial field. Leo runs this influencer blog with his girlfriend, Alicia. And they now have over 118,000 followers. But it didn't happen overnight. Before this, I used to work at Morgan Stanley and Barclays. It was about like two, three years at each company. That was my regular nine to five job. I was doing investigations more on like fraud and specifically anti-money laundering. So I was like analyzing like transactions and things like that. Despite the fact that he was an accountant, Leo wasn't always into numbers. Thinking about ourselves in the working world now, Compare that to where our interests were back in high school. For me, growing up since high school, I really got into like photography just as a hobby. And then for fashion, uh, growing up in your city, like fashion is such a huge part of like the culture and street, street style. All the kids are into like sneakers and Jordan. So like I was definitely one of those kids. I definitely consider myself a sneakerhead back in the day. That was always my creative outlet and my interests outside of school and work. At this point, you have enough context. I'll stop cutting in and out, and over the next hour, we'll dig into how and why Leo went from finance to fashion, from corporate to creative, from immigrant to influencer. Going behind the scenes of Instagram content creation, corporate partnerships, and finding work-life balance and working with your significant other. If you guys remember, at the time, like five, six years ago, Instagram was kind of growing. For me, I was like, oh, there's another social media platform. But for Alicia, she was following a lot of the female fashion bloggers on Instagram. And she kind of showed me like, hey, look, like these girls are killing it. Like this is like their job. This is what they do. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And I was when we were just kind of looking at like what they were posting and how like Instagram and blogs, like these platforms were growing. The one thing that really jumped out at us was like, oh, we kind of do this already because when we travel together, we'll take photos of each other. And But, you know, back then it was like, take a bunch of nice photos for Facebook. You upload for your friends and family. You, you want to take a nice photo for your profile picture back in the day. Um, so, like, we were doing it as, like, a hobby, as, like, a passion. But now that we see these girls killing it on Instagram, we're like, oh, it's kind of like what we do already. So if we just kind of sharpen it up and learn how to start a blog, we can upload our own photos on there. And so that, mm. that's that's kind of like the idea, like where it got started. But for me, at the same time, you know, I was getting bored at work. You know, the 
accounting and the finance background that was never like my passion i really did it just because that was like the american dream right to get a nice corporate job stable job and you know someday buy a house but i was getting bored at work you know it was kind of like the same thing over and over i've always in the back of my mind was interested in like marketing and advertising mm. i honestly did not want to go back to school just because i i didn't love school and i figured like imagine like a few more years of school and all this student debt like i don't know if i want to do that just to get a new job and you know maybe even get paid less in the marketing field and so with all that in mind it was kind of like levitate style it's going to be a creative outlet it's going to be a side hustle it's my way to show my passion in fashion and travel and photography another biggest point of why we started this together is uh asian representation and mm. especially in fashion when you look at fashion throughout all these years especially like GQ magazine, you look at fashion brands, and obviously you look at mainstream, you look at Hollywood and TV shows, you never really saw Asians, specifically Asian guys. When you did have that one guy, it was usually a really bad stereotype, like a negative way, right? Mm -hmm, and that's something mm -hmm. that like, you know, not enough of us get to talk about. And now when we look back at it, like, wow, no wonder why, like, we have such a negative stereotype because that is all we get to see in mainstream media. With that also in mind, I'm like, you know what? Like, you know, I love fashion. It, if I want to see this change in perception and uh, representation, I have to be that change. And mm. so by uploading my photo, as simple as my sound, by putting my content everywhere on the blog, SEO, Google search, um, Instagram, right? Like Pinterest, all these things people will get to see my photo and that might change the perception. Honestly, like with all those reasons, we're like, why not? Like we, we got to do this, you know, even if it's just to try something new and see where it will go from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of discussion about how Asian representation needs to be elevated. Right. Now that you've started to do this over, what's that been like for you? And, and how do you feel we're coming along in that journey of elevating Asian representation in media? I've been doing this for like five and a half years now. And I think overall, um, it's definitely in a great step in the right direction. There's still obviously nowhere enough, you know, especially when you're in like metropolitan cities, like near a city, Chicago, LA, San Francisco, you mm -hmm. just walk around and it's like, sometimes it feels like a third or like even half the people you see are Asians. Right. And so, mm -hmm when you compare those like real life experience and real numbers and you look at media, the numbers don't really match up. It's, it's, it's nowhere enough. Mm -hmm. But I think over the years, it's, it's definitely changed a lot. I think now when you look at fashion campaigns and you look at advertising, I feel like I see maybe like at least one Asian face in, you know, maybe right. 10 campaigns. And I think like mm -hmm. that is a really nice shift and i think this is honestly due to social media too is because people want to be represented people want to be relatable and people want to feel included and like that's also in line with um sexuality lgbt um you know like the positive body groups like all those things because you're realizing like america 10 years ago only show models in a very specific way right but like now like mm -hmm. the, the the beauty standards is not what it used to be. 
So now it's very inclusive and, you know, you're including all types of race and all types of body types, which is, which is great. They're also including a lot of Asians and which is great because in some ways too, they're allowing Asians to tell their story. You'll see campaigns like, I think like AT&T, I think they did something with like the Fung Bros in, um, in California, things like that is great. Important for brands to keep exploring this way to tell authentic mm-hmm. stories that otherwise, you know, this was not a thing five years ago. And for me, like when I work with brands, for example, like specifically when I work with brands like Express, um, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's been a really great one because it's been very consistent. And when they repost my content on their page, you know, n- number one, not only is someone like, oh, you know, like that's a cool outfit or that's a cool photo, right? But specifically, people have noticed these polls and said, oh, thank you, Express, for a- using an Asian model or thank you, Express, for using an Asian guy. For mm. a brand like that, you know, if, if your brand is about diversity, if your brand is about reaching people, right, this is a great way because now you have a new, a whole new, like, audience, a whole new customer base, and they feel valued and they feel included. And I, I, I like, that's to me, is one of the better examples when it comes to Asian representation in the social media world now. And when you think about um, your followership base, I don't know if you've done analytics on that, but does it look like most of them are Asian male or is it a wide mix? What does that look like? It's actually a really wide mix. It's very diverse. I was never like an Asian guy blogger. I never branded myself as the Asian guy. It's a simple wordplay, but basically I'm a style guy that's Asian. I wanted people to like me for my fashion, for my content. I didn't particularly like wanted someone just to like me just because I'm Asian. And so I think like years, my audience has always been very diverse. That's also like the beauty that I've noticed too is to be honest, like I have a a lot of minority followers because in a sense, a lot of us minorities, we all kind of have the same struggle. We're just trying to make it right. And so like, I think a lot of other minorities are inspired by my work, by my story. Because if I can do it, mm-hmm. they can do it. And so it's kind of cool that like we all support each other in that way. Yeah, that's awesome. It's great how you don't even see, you, you don't even want to frame race in the initial part of the conversation because it's it's more so how do you land on your identity as a, as a style guy? You mentioned that Levitate Style was more of a side hustle to mm-hmm. start. And I'd love to dig into what it was like changing careers from going corporate to creative particularly heading into full-time. Mm-hmm. When we were doing this as a side hustle, a lot of the events that was happening during the week was on like weeknights. A lot of times, for example, like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, there's always a lot of media events, like press events. You'll visit, say, H&M, and they'll show you what's coming out in the next six months. So these events are obviously closed off, media only, and you get to see what's coming out soon. Or there could be a launch party where GQ is throwing a party to celebrate, say, Tissot for a new watch, right? So all kinds of media events. There could be like movie premieres, all kinds of stuff. Those are usually like right after work. And what we used to have to do is go to our normal job. And then like literally right after work, I would change like my shoes or I'll change my suit jacket into like a leather jacket. Like just change up my look. So it's more like Mm. my personal style, more fashion. And then, yeah, literally like at seven, we'll go to these events. Early on, of course, it's all about networking. And so one event to another, meaning the PR person, the marketing person that's obviously in charge of throwing this event, and then meeting other influencers, other bloggers, 
or in the space as well. So like the first year was really just like one event after another, networking, building that network. Mm -hmm. A lot of times like we'll come home at like 10, 30, 11, and then rest and then go to work the next day. So that was during the week. And then on the weekend, it was a lot of working out at the cafe, um, shooting content. So like doing most of our photo shoots on the weekend because during the day, like by the time you get out of work, it's already sunset, it's dark. You can't shoot content. So on the weekends when you're like, okay, let me shoot like, I don't know, three outfits, four outfits. So I have enough photos to post during the week. And then, yeah, and then, uh, and then you got to go to the cafe. You got to sit down because you need time to learn how to blog, you know, or you need to figure out new strategies, mm -hmm. like what hashtags to use, what photos to, what photos you should be shooting. Like if Valentine's Day is coming up or if uh, summertime is coming up, what kind of outfits you need to shoot to put on your Instagram and things like that. So that was kind of like the weekly structure. That was like the reality of like working nine to five, nine to six, and at the same time having a side hustle. Honestly, like applying to every opportunity there was. What kind of opportunities were there? Yeah, so there, there are some marketing agencies that have platforms. Where they have like gigs that they would throw up and then you would just it, it, audition almost yeah, for them? Yeah, kind of like monster.com, kind of like a job board, but more... I don't know how to describe it because there's, I don't think there's anything like that on the consumer side of things, but kind of like imagine like a job mm -hmm. board, right? But more specifically closed off mm -hmm. just to influencers. So the agencies, for example, if they work with, I don't know, Nike, they put up this campaign, this like job search. Oh, you know, we need 10 influencers to promote this specific one pair of sneakers. And so you will apply and you can send, you know, samples of work. And then it's up to the agency and the brand to decide which influencers they want. This is like the first year. So like early on, I'm applying to every campaign that makes sense for me. And one of the campaigns was a casting call for someone to be a brand ambassador to travel the world for five months. When <laughs> okay. That, that yeah. So when, when that came, I'm like, well, worse is they say no. I'm going to shoot my shot. Like the worst is no, but you won't know until you try, right? And so I, I apply and I did like rounds of interviews and I send them like sample of my work. It was just incredible because we got this opportunity to travel the world for five months on a world cruise. Just like the most incredible once in a lifetime opportunity. We get to travel around the world and create content. Like that's, <laughs> that's the life. And we're like, this is it. Like, this is amazing. Like, let, let's do this thing. So that's how we like quit our job. Like we quit our job, put out our notice because we're like, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Like, I don't know if this is ever going to come back again. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I can always probably come back and find another finance job. Like, <laughs> there's always jobs out there for that. Working in finance, I imagine most corporate jobs are pretty well cushioned. Was there a big pay difference? Was it a substantial difference where you're like, oh, you know, our, our normal lifestyle will probably take a hit. But because this is a once in a lifetime kind of opportunity, it's, it's yeah. worth it. What, yeah, what so like? this was so this was a round the world cruise. So we end up doing fifty cities in twenty six countries in five months, and wow. this whole project turned out to be like a hundred thousand dollars. They also cover our expenses. So, for example, like internet and like when we're like going around doing attractions and things like that, all that costs they covered so that we can create content and tell the story. Even if I did have $100,000 laying around, I wouldn't just spend it on a trip like this. That's why we're like, mm -hmm. this is just a, such a unique once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that we, we got to do it.
that's when we like put in our notice and then we had to get like three visas and we packed up four suitcases and we sublet our apartment all in like a month and then we traveled the world that must have been such a rush what what were alicia and yourself feeling um honestly it was just crazy because like we were in a new country like every two three days it was just incredible like it, honestly, like every day felt like I was living my life to the fullest. And um, it just made the world feel so small when you're in Australia one week and then two weeks later you're in Shanghai and then two weeks later you're in Singapore. Like, And given that this was your first full-time yeah. gig within the fashion space, I, I guess, right? Or travel space. What was that learning curve like, right? Like I, I imagine the experience was amazing, but what was the process of learning how to jump into this new world for you? Leading up to that um, World Cruise project, we were already getting pretty consistent partnerships for a few months where I was getting maybe like two to three pay partnership a month. At that point, I was like, if I can get like two or three when I'm side hustling, like, can I get more if I'm doing this 100%? Like, maybe it is time to quit. And so it was really just like amazing timing that this opportunity came along. It was honestly like the perfect push from God to, to go into this 100%. Hmm. Hmm. Did fear play into that at all through throughout um, the process, or for me, no? Just because even though this career change was, it's, it's obviously a huge change. By quitting, I knew that I have a backup plan. That like, if I come back in five months, if I ever really like losing and spending all my savings, I can easily get another job in finance. And so I think like that's always like a safety right. net. I think when it comes to like my parents, because obviously like we're talking about immigrant and Asian parents, that that's my background. The first few years when I explained to them Levitate style, they they did not understand it at all. I mean, like, what the hell <laughs> is social media marketing? Like, what does that mean? And like, yeah. I make them follow me on Instagram, but they only go on Instagram just to see my photos. And they're like, okay, that's a cool photo, I guess. <laughs> but I explained to them like, oh no, this is like a partnership. Like, this is actually I'm promoting. Macy's, I'm promoting GQ, I'm promoting Hugo Boss. And they're like, oh, okay, that's that's kind of cool. So you're like a model. I'm like, well, technically, I'm not just a model. Like, I'm a, I'm the creative director, I'm the photographer, I have to manage my website, I have you're to everything. promote this, <laughs> I have to learn social media, I have to negotiate. Like, I have to yeah. I explain all these to them. But, like, it's, it's hard for our parents, I think, like, uh, the older generation in general, just to understand what social media marketing really entails and like all, all the things that goes behind it. Mm -hmm. So for my parents, like they were just like confused. They were like, Oh, like, yeah, you're just doing this for fun. Right. But then when I explained like the opportunities I was getting, the brands I was working with, the money I was getting paid. And obviously this once a lifetime trip, they're like, I mean, go for it. They understand like throughout the years, I'm really the one pushing myself to go into accounting and like I, I push myself to kind of jump from Morgan Stanley to Barclays for better pay. Like I've always been there to push myself. Over the years, they've mm-hmm. learned to trust me, to trust my decision. So if they like, why would you right. quit a six-figure job from Barclays Bank to do this thing? I think they understood what I saw. But it, it wasn't like, oh, overnight. It took me a year and a half um, which is even looking back, like that's a really long, uh, that's a really quick time to do it. But like in, in a year and a half, I was able to quit our jobs. And so like to even prove to them, like 
that they've trust what I've done with my career in the past. And like, this is the step I'm going to go into. Um, so they, they definitely had a lot of trust in what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's awesome. That's really, that's really great. And I think the, the, the piece on like the Asian parent perspective is always, you know, something that we all deal with in terms of expectations, right? Cause you've been in yep. it for about five, six years. I'd love to talk about how you've grown the brand, particularly curious about two points. One, how'd you go from a thousand followers, let's say to like 10,000. And then how'd you go from 10,000 to a hundred thousand and, and tactically what were you doing to make? Yeah, that for sure. Jump? Um, this is all blessing from God. I mean, like I don't control it, right? Like as much as I try to do the hard work myself, like I reach out to brands or I put out good content, like I don't know who's going to email me tomorrow. I don't know if this project is going to go through. I ultimately really thank God for all of this. And for me from the start was really just like quantity of quality. And I always tell people this because it's not about the one good photo or like one good video you put out. That one good photo, one video might get attention or get a lot of likes. But to get someone mm. to follow you, and I'm sure like you have to think about yourself too. What makes you follow someone else, right? If I see someone have one good photo, I'm like, mm -hmm. all right, this photo is cool. But like the rest of this profile is, I don't know, selfies and food. <laughs> your page, especially if you're trying to build a brand, needs to just be like your portfolio and quality work. So when people see your profile as a whole and trying to decide to follow or not, they can see, oh, this guy's consistent. This is what this page is all about. I'm going to follow now. With a shoe brand, you don't see one nice pair of shoes. Like It, it needs to be quantity of quality. You right. want to be consistent. You want to post a lot of good quality of work. Early on, like was really like the networking. You know, just like meeting people from one industry to another and like building that network. So a lot of people that I follow and follow me back are also a lot of people that work in the same industry. And mm -hmm. this strategy worked really well for me five and a half years ago. Because you have to remember five and a half years ago, Instagram was a very different place. When I, when I started, there was right. only like a handful of menswear bloggers. I was literally able to count like 10 to 15 guy bloggers. Business-wise, when you think about like market fit, right? There's only your, your if your competitor is only like 15 people, you're like, okay, well, like I can I can provide something different. I can be, you know, different in my style in this way, I get different in my photos this way. So you're able to differentiate yourself. Early on, like that was a competitive edge because there's not as much competition. So nowadays the, the, the growth is really hard because you have to be very, very niche. One thousand to ten thousand, that was actually more of my my modeling work. I kind of started just like a modeling as a hobby. 10,000 to 100,000. Early on, these brands don't even have budget because they didn't really believe in advertising on Instagram. A really good example is Uniqlo. So early on, they're yep. growing their page as well. And so a lot of brands, what they'll do is they'll do like tray for tray. Uniqlo would send me clothes to promote certain products like the new Heat Tech collection. Right. They'll send me these yep. products for free, but in turn, they will post that on their website and on their Instagram channel. That was a huge thing, cross-promotion, because someone would go on Uniqlo's Instagram page, and they'll be like, well, who's this guy? And so that early on really helped each other cross-promote. 
there's so many brands early on that I just did essentially free work. And that was really a big way to grow. How did you get in touch with these brands yeah. in the first place? So, so, you know, Uniqlo opens up their Instagram profile for the first time. And how did you start to reach out to them? To, yeah, so to do that? I'm just a normal guy. I didn't study fashion. I didn't study marketing. I honestly Googled everything. I Google how to start a blog. I Google how to reach out to a brand. Google marketing techniques. Number one, you literally just Google Uniqlo. Go to the website. Go to the contact me page. <laughs> see if there's like a press, like a press contact. <laughs> like honestly, that's what I did. And mm -hmm. I think that's kind of the focus you need. Early on, I would literally go to like a shopping mall and look at all the brands that's in like the shopping mall's directory. And I looked at these brands. I'm like, oh, well, you know, I would love to work with Hugo Box, Uniqlo, H&M. Let me see which one of these brands I want to reach out to. So then I Google Hugo Boss and I look up their contact page and I, or I would literally just send them a DM. And that is part of the game that nobody wants to do because that is the hard work. Because I probably reach out to a hundred brands and maybe like five <laughs> respond back. And so, but these are the opportunities. Mm -hmm. So you you were heavily you were heavily focused on just quantity of reaching out, right? More so than being selective with who you're starting out with, at least at least when you're. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, but I mean, I I never reach out to brands like Crocs or UGGs because that was never like on brand for me. It's just like <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, I I think for me personally, when 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 it came to fashion, a lot of these brands I really liked, but there are some brands where I'm like, nah, no way, I'm good. Like that's not my style at all. That is the line that you have to draw. I'm not going to talk about things I don't like. That's not real. And so mm -hmm. that's the part of like, you need to keep it real. And um, when you reach out to brands, like say Banana Republic, I'm like, well, I love to work with you guys because I work in finance and I love your stuff. Like I would literally wear your stuff to work. So that's a good way to show brands that you're not just there for a paycheck, but you're actually a fan of the brand and you've been wearing this for a few years, like, and you've been tagging them in your photos. That's a real way to build a relationship. Mm -hmm. This is really great content. Mm -hmm. You uh, you shared earlier about events. Yeah. Just by glancing at your Insta profile, some of the events that you're at are, uh, I don't know how to say <laughs> this, but pretty dope. <laughs> Recently, you know, you had a Brooklyn Nets game where you got sponsored by Tissot, right? The watch company. The movie A Quiet Place 2 just came out. You got to walk the red carpet for the premiere. Bubbling this up to a conversation around opportunities yeah. for uh, events. What's the background work that you're doing to, um, to but, get these you know, like. All these events are just kind of like the cherry on top. A lot of these events aren't paid per se. So they're not like built, they're not bringing me income, but obviously like is really great opportunity to have these very exclusive events. So to me, like this is really just like the fun part of the job. I think these opportunities really a display of the hard work throughout the years. For example, like TSOC specifically, I've worked with the brand in the past. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, when Tiso was just starting their collaboration with the NBA, and I was one of the influencers that helped them do a few campaigns and promote the watch, and I did a event with them at Macy's with GQ. I've kept in touch with the brand. I actually saw the social media person in Chicago recently, the NBA All-Star Weekend. That was just honestly like... Hey, you know, if, if you want to go to the game, sometimes they have assets. So like, that's like the beauty of like building your network and your relationship. Um, cause sure. Like it, mm. it, it is a brand, but 
there's also a person behind the brand and the person is just as important to keep these relationships. Mm-hmm. It shows that it's not just a transaction thing, you know, it's, it's, it's more than just an Instagram thing. Um, you you want to build these real relationships because you never right. know, maybe this person might work at Omega or uh, IWC someday. I think that's like the big business tip from all this it could be applied. Like you want to have a good network with uh, and a good relationship with, with everyone because you never know where they're going to be in two years. And then with the movie, The Red mm-hmm. Carpet, this was through a PR company. So they are promoting the movie. And so they like to invite some influencers to come to the red carpet, VIP screening, things like that, to be able to build up the hype around the movie. And so um, for them, it's not that much effort, right. but like it could bring in big results because maybe a lot of my audience <laughs> didn't care about the movie or maybe my audience didn't know the movie was coming out. It's little things like this that can expand their reach. We're, we're talking about relationships with partners. And and when I look at the extremely long list of influencer campaigns that you've done, you know, it's it's some of the biggest brand names in the world from Audi to Ferrari to Marriott mm-hmm. Bonvoy to Tiffany's to Hugo Boss. You were talking about how at the start, it was really easy to grow mm-hmm. and scale because no one else was doing it. And I imagine that now it's a lot more difficult. So when your partners are looking at, oh, which kind of influences should we bring in? Do you find that it's pretty competitive or difficult to stand out at this point in time? Or have you already kind of established the relationships and you're just leapfrogging? I think like when it comes to these partnerships, it's it's usually like two parts. And I I think you already kind of bring up a good point. Um, I feel like in the beginning, I was more like the average uh, suit guy. So, you know, I talked a lot about suits and like dress shoes. So I did things like Alan Edmonds, Gap and Banana Republic. This is like the importance of social media. You have to keep on trend. And so I, I noticed like the suits were becoming more casual, right? And you notice like that was like a big topic in the workplace mm-hmm. that what is business casual? Oh, you don't have to wear the suit anymore. You don't have to wear a tie anymore. So like then my content started to shift from all the business professional completely suited up look to more sharp casual because like at the end of the day like yes it's my style but i also have to cater to my audience if none of my audience wear suits to work anymore then why am i wearing a suit like i need to put out content that my audience can relate to or if my audience is like well the suit is great but Mm -hmm. honestly like i just want to learn how to wear a hoodie so then i need to put out content of how to wear a hoodie throughout the years i wanted to make my way more into the luxury market the H&M, the Zara is great, and it's great to let people know there are cheaper alternative options. But as I mature myself, especially as an immigrant, I realize how important the luxury market is. Because the luxury market, mm. you know, no, no pun intended, is, is, is a luxury to have because not a lot of us immigrants and even Asian community have the luxury to enjoy these luxury brands, to keep pushing myself to keep promoting positive Asian image, I have to keep elevating myself as well. Right. It's really humbling. It's really cool too. When I work with brands specifically, like for example, like American Express and Marriott Bonvoy, they specifically put me in the luxury traveler program. For the Marriott Bonvoy program, they wanted me to promote the higher end um, rewards program for someone that travels a lot, for someone that's a big spender and there's a lot of rewards. And I was like, you know, like that, that's great. Like I, that's really cool that the brand can see from my content, from my lifestyle that 
that's more aligned with what they are trying to promote. <laughs> and that's how I've been able to land the bigger partnerships. I uh, I love that you brought up Marriott Bonvoy. I'm oh, a, that's awesome. I consider myself a Bonvoy boy. I do travel a lot for work. So, um, yeah, we, we we joke about, you know, the, the level of quality, I'd say, when we do travel because it is so nice. That's but, awesome. But, like, you know, these are kind of things that, like, our parents don't teach us this. Or at least, like, my, my parents didn't teach me to get a specific mm -mm. kind of credit card to earn points, you know, that you get free travel. Like, I didn't know about this. I had to learn this myself. So I, I'm glad that you brought up elevating your game through through changing the type of content that you're pushing out. And content creation requires a lot of investment, right? In, in terms of time, creativity, emotions. You're at five, six years in building your company. Can you walk us through a little bit of when you thought to yourself, man, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. This is yeah, tiring. Um, honestly, for me, or, that's or has that never happened to me. That's when I really knew that, like, this is my, like, true passion. If it's your true passion and you understand the reasons mm -hmm. why you do this, this specific project or whatever this thing you're working on, then, like, it's not going to be tiring for you. It could get frustrating at times, for sure, but you're not going to mm -hmm. give up because you see the true purpose and passion behind all of this. I think that's why like I never had that moment just because I know the kind of impact my content serves because when I do meetups and I meet fans and you know real people in real life like just like hearing about the stories and how important representation is or like how they love the content like it's very motivating it just keeps me going the blog was like five years ago, but then like the past year or two, we've been very consistent on YouTube and that's like a whole other monster to do. The past year, I wanted to push myself more to do more podcast interviews and do more uh, panels because behind the cool photos, people don't really know all of these stories. Like people don't really know that I'm from Hong Kong, I'm an immigrant and I used to work in finance. Like I talk about it sometimes. But I love to just tell the story more and more so more people know about this. And so I'm constantly just pushing myself to do more, mm -hmm. um, to go from photos to videos to speaking. Like, I've never grown tired of it. Yeah, definitely. You bring up a good point about shifting uh, mediums, it seems like. So, you know, mm -hmm. when you think about Instagram being your primary focus, given that you post daily, and then you've got these YouTube videos yeah, yeah. that I think are weekly. And then, um, you know, mm -hmm. you're doing, to your point, you're doing like a podcast episode with me now. How do you choose where to allocate and, and mm -hmm. more importantly, prioritize your time when you talk about like work-life balance? You want to get better at your craft. Just like all these years of like shooting fashion and travel content, we've gotten like a really good sense of like, what is the money shot, right? Like what's going to do well on Instagram in a way, like nail down what we need and what we want. Sometimes mm -hmm. we're able to do like a shoot in like 15 minutes. We have really gotten better at knowing our lighting, our camera settings, how to pose and what to feature. Over time, you want to streamline and get better at your craft as a content creator. Even though Instagram is still our majority focus because that's still the majority of the sponsorship, we're able to crank that out mm -hmm. really well and very consistently. But then the YouTube, uh, <laughs> I mean, YouTube has been a big learning curve. So like, learning how to shoot videos how to talk in front of the camera um editing the videos i think like in the beginning it took me forever to edit a video i was just like oh this, this has got to be perfect this has got to mm -hmm. be the one and i think that's when i learned about the whole thing about quantity of quality 
your one video might be amazing, but like, what about your next five videos? That's the hard part to be consistent. That's when I learned the line, like, how can I shoot and mm-hmm. edit my videos in a more consistent and more streamlined way? When you can do that in a more consistent way, that's when you're like, okay, like I have a better control of this platform. And also it helps that we work, we work from home a lot. We've invested in ourselves living in a nice luxury mm-hmm. building so we can shoot content in our lounge. We can shoot content five minute walk from our apartment because we live in um, Dumbo in Brooklyn. So it's a very beautiful area where you can shoot really great photos. So that way I can really streamline this process. YouTube, I usually try to shoot most of my videos in the beginning of the month. So I'll shoot my videos on Monday and Fridays and I'll try to do like two to three videos each day. So in a week, I could potentially have six videos, which is Mm -hmm. enough for the whole month. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, that's that's usually when there's a lot of events happening at night. And then during the week, I might have like one-on-one meetings. So that way, like Monday and Friday, I'll shoot videos at home. Tuesday, Wednesday, Mm -hmm. Thursday, I'll be outside meeting with brands and marketing, things like that. And then, you know, I can have a proper weekend now. So yeah, these are all the things. (laughs) When, when, Mm -hmm. When you look back at all the things you do, you're like, wow, that's a lot of things happening. Yeah. You mentioned that both uh, yourself and your partner, Alicia, work on this full time together. It it feels like you're both creative in different ways, right? Because of how you're on the modeling and photography side and the visual lens, really. It seems like she does a lot of like the reading, the writing and content for websites. She handles analytics. She plays piano. How does all of that play out in your brand in terms of working together? Well, that's a really great point. We're actually very different when it comes to creative. For Alicia, come from a background of music, dance. And for me, I've just been doing like photography since I was in high school. So we're very different in that way. We realized that like, and I think like in most business, like you want to take advantage of each other's strengths and weaknesses. Early on, even when we were starting Levitate Style, Coming up with the blog name, the shooting and things like that, that was definitely more me. And then for Alicia, we're like, okay, like she was interested in like building the website and building out HTML and learning SEO. Right off the bat, we're like, okay, this is how we're going to delegate different tasks. As we were growing, we definitely try all sorts of things. So it's like, okay, like I'll have her shoot, but then like she's not as comfortable with the camera. So then okay, this is more my strength. So I would focus on coming up with ideas, videos, how to shoot things, all of more the creative side. We learned from her, like she's very technical. She loves tasks. She loves that she can check things off. Mm-hmm. So it's okay. So, so that's great. So like you can work on the analytics, accounting, content on the website, linking products, all very equally important. In a way, it's like a lot of the stuff I do is more like the before and then she does a lot of the after. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like invoicing, things like that. Like that that's the after. And that's like the joke too, because I study accounting, but she's doing the accounting now because I don't <laughs> actually like accounting. <laughs> but that, you know, yeah. but that's how things are. You know, you you really want to understand your partner, what are their strengths and weaknesses? Because like think about it. If I had to do something I suck at, it's gonna take me a lot longer. If we're trying to be efficient and better with our time and less frustration, you wanna just play to your strengths. It feels like you guys work really well together, right? Like the the fact that you guys contrast yeah. each other so well. I, I, it's one thing to work together, but another thing, you know, we're also boyfriend, girlfriend for eight years. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, 
you also have to understand the work-life balance is another big topic, you know, especially when we're traveling. Like, so say we're in Paris for a work trip, the work-life balance in that is like, you always got to have a good compromise. So for Alicia, mm -hmm. she loves books and she loves like cafes. When we do the research, like, okay, you know, Paris, like this is a really cute bookstore and this is a really great cafe. Let's plan our day around that. We'll go to this museum. She loves museums. But at the same time, like, okay, well, I want to share like content outside of the museum before we go in. And then when we're in the museum, I'm not going to take as many photos. So like just have a good balance of what works. That way, like you're still having playtime and downtime, but you know, you can still get your content. And for me, right. like I don't post a lot of nighttime photos. And so for us, it's been a good rule to kind of stop after sunset. Mm, so you have like mm -hmm. a hard stop. Okay, sunset's coming up. I'm shooting golden hour at five o'clock. And after this, I'm done because literally it's too dark. Mm -hmm. So then you can have a nice dinner and you can, you know, unwind and just enjoy it. Traveling is a really great way to explain the work-life balance. Uh, and I think that's a really good way to go about it. It's so good that you carved that out for, for the both of you. Uh, looking back, what were the biggest pivotal moments in your business? And what were the takeaways from each moment? Being featured in GQ Magazine was a huge thing. That was only like a year in. And I got to network with somebody I was working at GQ. And she really just loved the whole story that like, I'm just a regular guy. I'm a finance guy, but I love fashion because a lot of people in fashion comes from fashion. And on top of that, I'm an Asian guy and you don't see Asian guy that often in, mm -hmm. in fashion and media. So in a year, I got, to I, I got featured in the GQ magazine. And that was like the September 2015 issue. In the fashion world, the September issue was like the big deal, like the big issue, which I didn't even know. Stephen Colbert was on the cover. I had no idea. Like, I just thought, okay, cool. I'll be in the magazine. I ended up being on like a three-page spread. That really was a moment that really clicked for me because one of the main reasons I started was because I didn't see Asian guys in GQ magazine. I just remember like looking at this magazine. I'm like, man, for this one month, for this moment, I can honestly say this is one more Asian guy than before. I, I didn't even care if it was me or not, but I'm just like, man, like this is one more Asian representation than before. And I just felt like mission accomplished. That was one of those moments like early on. I'm like, man, this is going to have a much bigger impact than just me. Right. Looking ahead now, uh, what what's on the horizon for Levitate Style as a brand and, and what's in store for, for you? Yeah. So, you know, with the way like social media is um, growing, going these days. So I'm, I'm on TikTok, YouTube. I would love to do more speaking a little bit in the work, working on a new, uh, like a new clothing collection to start from somewhere. Sweet. Thanks so much for taking the time. I know like what's crazy is, um, you know, we've never met. No. So this is so cool <laughs> to jump into this and, uh, yeah, it's been interesting to learn about your story. So, no, this is great. You. No, th thank you. I appreciate it. Never say never. There you have it from Immigrant Influencer with Leo Chan of Levitate Style. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating or review. If you want to hear more of Millennials with Machetes, be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Did you know that you can share your thoughts on the direction of this show with me? Yep, if you do, 
<laughs> head over to anchor.fm slash millennials with machetes and click on the message icon. Until next time, keep swinging at the shrubs. JQ, out. <laughs>